Acts chapter number 16, and starting with verse 11, it says, Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samthonica, and the next day to uh, Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony, and we were there in the city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto those things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up to gather against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, waking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors opened, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And here's what I want to preach to you today. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were, with, uh, were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Again, I've been um, mulling this message over for a few weeks and um, just really one thought. And that's the question that he asked. And that's, this is the question that maybe these girls are asking. Maybe some of you that are, that are here today and the Lord has revealed to you that you're lost. Maybe it's the same question that you've been asking. Uh, if you've never been lost in your life, today might very well be the day that you become lost. That the Lord reveals that to your heart and to your soul. Uh, if it doesn't happen today, rest assured there is going to come a day in your life that 
that it will happen. Uh, that the Lord will reveal to you that you're lost and in trouble, whatever words you want to put on that, we refer to it according to the Scripture, it's conviction. Uh, it's the work of the Holy Spirit of God that when Jesus said, I'm going away to the Father, uh, but when I go away, I'm going to send the Spirit back to you, and He shall reprove all manner of sin and, and, and of righteousness and of judgment. So we use that word conviction. And when that conviction begins to settle uh, inside a little soul or inside a heart uh, and, and begins to stir up emotions of fear and doubt and, and dismay and tremble and, 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 and you're going to be wondering what can I do or what must I do? Uh, we see here a man named Paul and his companion Silas and Luke was with them. Uh, but, but Paul had wanted to go into, uh, into Asia and preach the gospel. And, and it's not a bad thing to preach the gospel, that's for sure. But uh, God had other plans. Paul, every time he tried to go into Asia at this particular time, earlier in the chapter, it said the Holy Ghost forbid us to do that. Uh, he was directing them towards someplace else. And Paul came down to, I believe it was Troas, and, and as he was there, he had a vision in the night. Hey, it may have been a dream or a vision of some kind, but at any how, it was a vision uh, of a man simply saying, come into Macedonia and help us. And Paul said, immediately we went, and he grabbed Luke and, and, and Silas, and they went over into Macedonia. And they got into Macedonia, and it came a Sabbath day. They went out by the riverside, and, and there was a group of women there, I suppose probably Jews, that had migrated and, and they said they worshipped God but they didn't really know God. They worshipped Him by the light that they had and to the best of their ability and, and the Scriptures say Paul began to teach unto them the Scriptures and, and this woman named Lydia got saved there and, and, and so already the fruits that he had went into Macedonia had begun to produce and, and it wasn't very long after that that there was a uh, there was a slave girl who, uh, who was a soothsayer who was was possessed by demons and, and she was able for a period of time to, uh, to uh, be a psychic or a fortune teller, whatever you want to call her. And, and you have to keep in mind that even demons knew who Jesus Christ is. Uh, and there were times that the demons that he cast out uh, said, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And Jesus forbade them to speak and to hold their peace. Uh, but this demon that had possessed this woman who brought her masters much gain by soothsaying uh, cried after Paul and Silas uh, all the way down for day after day. And they began to proclaim these men are the servants of the Most High God. And they show the way of God and the way of salvation to God. And, and Paul finally had enough in being grieved turned about and rebuked her, rebuked that demon, and the demon left her, and she got saved. But because he had done this thing, and their masters had begun to, uh, to be in need of the money that she would bring in, she wasn't doing that anymore. And so they began to be mad, and they, uh, they drew Paul and Silas and thrust them into prison. And that's where we pick up. They're in prison. Uh, the Scripture says the keeper of the prison uh, shut them fast in the stocks. And other words, he, he made sure they were bound. And even though they were bound in those stocks, it could have been probably hard to get comfortable, probably hard to find a position to go to sleep. So at midnight, the Scripture says, Paul and Silas began to pray and to sing praises unto their God. I made a comment Wednesday night that there is absolutely a difference between happiness and between joy. Happiness is so fleeting, it can come 
and it can go. Things in this life will make you happy and they ebb and they flow away. Happiness is good while it lasts but it can flee away just as quickly as it comes. Now, but there is a such thing as a joy uh, down deep in the soul of man that has been saved and redeemed. And in that, in that soul uh, resides a joy that the Lord Jesus Christ said, and no man will ever be able to take that joy from you. And that's the joy that Paul and Silas had. Even in those circumstances, uh, feet fastened in the stocks, uh, uh, being thrust in, I don't think that jailer treated them very well. Uh, their backs had been laid open. Uh, the Romans were brutal. Uh, the Romans didn't have any law of God to uh, withhold how many stripes they laid. And I believe they laid Paul and Silas full of stripes. Uh, Paul made a comment in one place. He said, I bear in my body the marks of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so he did. And so as they lay there uh, with their feet fastened in the stock, on that dungy, dank, uh, slimy, filthy cell uh, with their wounds laid open. Uh, you might think, what in the world would they have to celebrate? And uh, uh, my friend, they had a joy uh, that the jailer could not take from them. Uh, you see, the Scripture says uh, that Jesus Himself said it, uh, uh, that in just a little while, uh, that's all that this life is. Uh, it's just a little while. Uh, I don't care how long that you might live on this planet Earth. Uh, you're only here for a little while and so those of us who have been saved and have been redeemed I know that there is without doubt coming a day when that little while shall be over and that little while is past and then Jesus made the statement in that day we're here for a little while we're living for that day but while we're here for a little while there are some things that we need to say and we need to settle and we need to do and so the Lord has instructed me to preach this morning to you on the subject what must I do to be saved and so that jailer thrust them in but about midnight the scripture says Paul and Silas begin to pray how they begin to praise God how they begin to have a Holy Ghost meeting there in that filthy dungeon and the scripture says the prisoners heard them how they had never heard anything like they heard coming out of the mouth of Paul and Silas, have you that have grown up here, you that have been in church your whole life, have you realized what a gift you've got? There are people across the globe today that have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel preached to them, but you have. You are to hold that in high regard. You are to hold that among the very best things that God has ever blessed you with. I'm glad as a little boy I heard the gospel preached. I'm glad as a little boy I see those prisoners had never heard. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about a, an old pagan king in the Old Testament named Darius. And he, uh, he, he had heard Daniel speak about God. Uh, but you see, there's a difference in knowing about God and knowing God. Uh, that lady, that damsel that was possessed with the spirit of a demon, uh, she knew about God, but she didn't know God. You might say, what do you mean by that? 
Well, I believe according to the laws of the land and what I've seen with my eyes, I believe there is a King of England. Uh, but I don't know the King of England. I've never met him. I'm knowing that there is a God will do you no good. And you must know him. You must know Him in a free pardon of sin. As see, the Holy Ghost revealed to me one night I was lost and separated. And then this God that I'd heard preached about, you see, I knew He was real. Because like that old pagan King Darius, I had seen evidence enough in other people rejoicing in the Lord. You that are here today that might be lost, you don't have any doubt that God is real. And you see the evidence of that. And you see people shout and get happy. Or at least you ought to. I'm afraid maybe the church ain't as happy sometimes as we ought to be. Amen. But see, they need to see that. And so these prisoners heard. They had never heard anything like what Paul and Silas did. Paul and Silas was in the same shape that they were. And they were all bitter. And they were all cursed. And they were all filthy. And they were all sinners. Except Paul and Silas. They knew that in just a little while, one way or another, that trial would be over. Uh, that in one way or another, God would break the chains. Whether He did in this life or the next, He would break those chains. And the Scripture says, as they prayed and sang about midnight, the Bible says God sent an earthquake. But it wasn't just any earthquake. It was a supernatural thing. It was an earthquake sent from God. I know that scientists say when the tectonic plates shift and all of that. But you know, I believe this one was orchestrated from heaven above. I believe God caused an earthquake. And as He caused an earthquake, the Bible said, every man's chains fell from off of him. So Paul and Silas and the rest of the prisoners were no longer bound. The rest of those prisoners could have just as easily got up and walked right out, but something kept them there. I believe it was the power of God. I believe it was God the Holy Ghost ascending forth. They wanted to hear more about what Paul and Silas said and about what they prayed. And so the prisoner, uh, the keeper of the prisoner, that jailer, uh, that had just a few hours earlier had treated them so rough, uh, he no doubt was woken out of his sleep by this great earthquake. And he started, uh, in that day, Rome had a law that if you were in charge of those prisoners and something happened and they escaped, your life would go for theirs. Now this jailer was a dead man. He understood that. How all of those prisoners had to escape. And he was a dead man. Supposing that they had all been fled, the Bible said he drew out his sword and was going to kill himself, was going to take his life, was going to end his misery before Rome did that for him. And I assume Paul probably heard that sword unsheathed from that scattered. And when Paul heard that, he knew what was about to happen. And he cried out, Wait! Now don't do yourself any harm. Nobody's gone. Now we're all still here. And so the jailer, knowing that, that they were all safe, his life was no longer in danger. But above and beyond that, I believe now he feared among all fears. Now what was he scared of? He no longer had to worry about his life. He hadn't lost a single prisoner. He knew they were all there. So at this point, what was it that made him tremble so bad? I believe the Holy Ghost 
Ghost had touched him. Don't you? I believe the Holy Ghost had revealed to him. I believe what he heard out of the mouth of Paul and Silas, even as he shackled them, even as they beat them, even as he cast them and thrust them into the prison, I believe they were talking to him about a man named Jesus Christ who God has appointed unto men to die for your sins and be raised from the dead. I believe he preached to that jailer the same thing that Peter preached at Pentecost. How that death could not hold him. How that you have crucified with wicked hands the Lord of glory. How that God had predetermined it all that at your hands you should crucify Jesus Christ and that on the third day God would raise Him from the dead in order that we might be saved. We were talking in Wednesday night about that. And you know when Jesus died, it was a source of, of sorrow. I mean every apostle that he had, everybody that ever loved him, they were sad. They watched their Lord hang there. They watched his bloody frame. They watched Joseph of Arimathea take him down from the cross. They watched Nicodemus wrap him in fine linen. They watched him buried. They saw him there in the and every hope that they had was gone. Their Lord and their Master was now dead and sorrow filled their heart. But do you know what Jesus said unto them right before that happened? He said, your sorrow shall be turned into joy. It's not replaced with joy. He said, your sorrow will be turned into joy. The sorrow that they had, that their Lord was dead, their Lord dying, would soon be the cause of their rejoicing because He didn't stay dead. Because He had to die for you to be saved. But He was raised again. So the very thing that caused them sorrow was now the cause of their rejoicing that Jesus Christ died for sinners, that sinners might through Him be saved. Now you heard this young mother talking this morning. A sorrow has filled her heart. But you know the same thing that caused that sorrow is the Holy Ghost of God. And knowing her children are in trouble and knowing that they're lost, when these two girls get saved, her sorrow is turned to joy on the spot. It's the same thing for a sinner. Now that sorrow that you feel right now down in the depths of your soul, a trouble like you've never known before, that sorrow won't be replaced by joy. It'll be turned into joy. The very God that made you sorry is the very God that's going to save you. The very God that's going to cause you to rejoice. The very God that caused Paul and Silas in prison to rejoice. So this jailer had no fear. I'm not going to lose my life. Uh, Rome is not going to come in and take my head. I've not lost any of it. So what's he scared for? What's he scared about? He was scared in such a manner. He called for a light and they brought him a light and he came in and fell down before Paul and Silas, trembling and asked them a question. Have you asked that before? He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That was the pressing matter at the moment. Every other thought that you've ever had disappears at that moment. You're lost. You're separated. You're undone. If you were to die right now, you would slip off into eternity a lost 
hell-bound sinner. So what do you do? And this is why I said I wasn't really hesitant, but some of you probably aren't going to like this. But that's all right. I, this is what I believe. I believe we as Baptists sometimes have made salvation unattainable. I believe we as Baptists sometimes have meant well. I believe we as Baptists sometimes, and I've heard some of my preaching brethren whom I love, they'll say you need to do everything that you can, that you need, uh, that you need to follow everything that you can. I've heard people say uh, that I felt like I needed to go to my farm. I felt like if I could just get there to that place, I could find him, that I could be saved. Uh, for me, it was an altar. It wasn't so much God drawing me to the altar, but I had seen people saved on an altar. I knew it was a good place. This altar's not the... This altar will not save you. I'm afraid some of you have, have, have bargained with God. I'm afraid some of you have gotten so disappointed. Amen. I'm afraid some of you in your heart of hearts, as true as you can possibly be, have said, Lord, you told me to go to the altar and I went. And you still didn't save me. But it has nothing to do. The altar is secondary. Going to that farm place is secondary. What you need to do is submit and surrender to Him. That's what you need to do. It has nothing to do with God drawing you to a certain place. Now, I'll say this. In order to get saved, you might very well have to go to that place. But let me say that with this preface. That is your restriction that you put upon you. Amen. That is not God's restriction upon you. Now, let me ask you something. What if when you get to your home place or you get to that farm, you get to that place that you've got set up in your mind, if I can just get there. What if the Lord's not dealing with you as much then? What if something happens to you between now and that place? You see what I'm saying to you? That God has no restriction on you. Not one place in the Word of God has men ever asked, what must I do to be saved? And then be told to go someplace. That's not part of it. You must make a full surrender in your heart in order to be saved. Now, if you've got it set up in your mind, I will not go to the altar. I will not do that. You know what? That has nothing to do with the altar. That has everything to do with you believing I will not repent. Amen. Not about the altar. It's about your heart. It's about being humble. It's, it's not has nothing to do with you don't need to get anywhere. You need to get to Christ. Amen. He will save you on the spot. A lot of people don't like that. A lot of people say, well, you need to do everything that you, you know what? Let me just be perfectly honest with you. When God's dealing with a saved person, we know, yes, we better do everything the Spirit leads us to do. But when God is dealing with a lost person, there's only one thing. He doesn't lead you to do anything. He draws you to Himself and to His Son. My Father would send me draw him. That drawing you feel. It's not to come to the altar. It's not to go to a place. It is to come to Christ. Amen. And be saved. Everywhere that question has ever been asked. Pentecost. They asked Peter, what must we do? When Peter preached, they were pricked in their heart. And they said, men and brethren, what must we do? What did Peter say? He said, repent and be baptized. 
calling upon the name of the Lord for the remission of your sins. I believe this jailer was already repenting. I don't. I think that's why Paul probably blessed out. He was already repentance isn't saying you're sorry. Repentance is turning from sin, turning to God. It's, it's the complete surrender. That's what God's after. I heard people say that you know when God. When God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, God never wanted Isaac. He wanted Abraham to surrender everything. You can't play games with God. You can't surrender everything except one. You have to surrender everything. And so I'm afraid some of you have gotten so discouraged in your mind. God, you told me to go here and I went there. And you didn't save me. And you become upset and even mad at God to an extent. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with you surrendering. I've told you before when I got saved, I didn't get saved until what? Until after I did everything I knew to do. You see, that's what salvation is. It is nothing that you do. It's a complete surrender. It is a repentance from the heart. So what must I do? That's all that Taylor wanted to know. He wasn't scared about his life anymore. Don't anybody walk out of here thinking, I love the altar. Love it. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands have got saved in a place just like this. But if you happen to come to the altar and don't get saved, is it the altar's fault? Is it God's fault? Did God lie to you? You see, when you make it about the place, it becomes a work. Now, God, we've got it in our mind. Well, because I went to this place that I felt like you told me to go, that is, I don't think that's God telling you that. Amen. I think that is you telling you that. And you might very well have to get there to satisfy your own mind. But again, that's not God's restriction. It's yours. Right. Right. Amen. What must I do? Repent. Surrender. After you've done everything that you know to do. And again, my preaching brethren are they don't mean anything. They're, they're trying to help you. But I'm trying to help you this morning. It's not about where you go. Is it the altar's fault if you don't say you know? But you try to bargain with God. And what you're really doing is saying, because I did this, you owe me this. Because I went to the altar, you owe me to save me. God doesn't owe you anything. It is all by grace. Or it's all by works. It can't be both. Romans, I believe it's chapter 9, somewhere along there says if it's both, then grace is no more grace. And work is no more work. Salvation. You can't be full of Christ until you are emptied of yourself. You have to surrender everything. The rich young ruler came and he asked Jesus, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? You know what Jesus said? Keep the commandments. Don't steal. Don't break. commit adultery. Don't kill. Honor your father and your mother. You know what that man said? He said, I've done all of them from my youth up. Every one of them. You may have never been lost before this moment. But let me clue you in on something. Not one of us 
can even keep the first commandment. Amen. Thou shalt have no gods before me. Every one of us has broken that one. And if you broke the one, you broke them all. But I've not killed anybody. Have you ever been angry without a cause at somebody? You know your Lord said that is the same as murder in your heart. I've never committed adultery. I've been faithful to my spouse. But have you ever, Jesus said, looked upon another with lustful eyes? If so, then in your heart you have committed adultery. You are guilty before that law. You're guilty. Amen. So then what must you do? You must repent. And you must believe. And that, was, that is the only requirement. It's not a certain place. What did the woman with an issue of blood say? I've got to get to Jesus. If I can get to Him, I know He'll help me. That's how you come. Amen. You come as unworthy, but you come with boldness believing God justifies the believer. That God justifies the ungodly when we put our faith and hope in Him. So what is? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believing that He's the Son of God won't do it. Believing that He died and rose again the third day won't do it. Believing that He's sitting at the right hand of the Father won't do it. Believing He's coming back to judge this earth won't do it. You can believe all of that and still be lost. To believe in, in that sense, is to put all your hope, all your trust, all your faith in that crucified Lord and Savior and that His blood is the only thing that can cleanse you from your filthy unrighteousness. So the restrictions, we've made it too hard. We have made people think they must do this, they must do that. They must follow every little thing. What if God's not telling you all of that? Satan can distract your mind. You know, if if you've never been saved, there is only one thing that God above is telling you. You must repent and believe the gospel. And if and when you do that, He will save you. Not because He owes you, but because He loves you. Do you really think Jesus Christ would suffer all that He suffered? Allow those stripes to be planted on Him. Allow them to drive those spikes through His hands at His feet and expire on the cross and then not be able to say He is fully able to save the uttermost. All that come to Him. But you must repent. I'm not born to that altar. It's not about the altar. It's not the altar you have a problem with. It's your pride. Amen. And until you get that, you know, God, does, God doesn't hate much. But I can show you in the Scripture, He hates. He hates. He hates a proud look. Amen. It's not the altar. It is your pride. Yep. And until you get that gone, you'll never be saved. Exactly. Never. Amen. It's not about the place. The preacher... It is good to have a prayer place. It is. A place that you've got in your home that you can go talk to the Lord. But again, God doesn't require that. He requires a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He requires humbleness. He requires repentance 
And He requires faith. And everything that any man of God has ever told you beyond that is man's opinion and not God's. Amen. Some of you ain't going to like that. I believe it's the truth of the Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You look up everybody that ever said, what must I do? And the words repent and believe. And that's it. You mean that's it? That's it. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. It's not easy emptying yourself. It's not easy trusting in the unseen. But in order to be saved, you must repent and believe. There is no other way. I don't care where you go. I don't care what you do. You've been searching in the Scriptures. I have no doubt that some of you right here, right now, have longed to be saved for a long time. You desire to be saved. I'm glad. I'm so glad that you have that longing. I hope that longing turns into more than longing. I hope deep conviction settles in before this service is over. I hope as we have a, there's a song we sing once in a while called I Surrender All. Oh, to Him I freely give. Some try to bargain with God. You can have everything but no, that ain't going to work. He's either God of everything or He's God of nothing. He'll not take your bargains. But I went to the altar. has nothing to do. Have you emptied your... Have you surrendered everything? Complete surrender. That's what He's after. Not anything that you can do. He's interested in what you are. A sinner that needs to be saved. He wants to save you. Some of you have longed for a long time If I could just do this, if I could just get there. Sinner friend, there's no time like right now. Never once in the Word of God does He ever say, wait. What must I do? Well, wait. Wait till you feel that you have to know. It doesn't say that. It says now. Now. Right now. Not when you get home. Not when you can shut yourself in your bedroom. And not when you can get to your place tonight. He says now. Be saved. He said, look unto me all the ends of the earth and be saved, for I am God and there is no other. Amen. What must I do? That jailer was in bad shape. What must I do? Paul could have said, well, memorize this and that, go do this and that, go back to your cell, go to your... He didn't say that. He said... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Sinner, you must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. When I came to the end of myself that night, I knew there was nothing else I could do and I told God one more time I cried from the depths of my heart, I want to be saved. And He saved me that quick. It was easy then, but all the way leading up to them, it was hard. But I finally got to the place of complete surrender. You must get to Christ. You must get to Him. And I'll be honest, you cannot do that on your own. Repentance and faith is a grace given by God Himself. No man would ever come except the Father that sent Jesus draw you. But when the Father draws you, 
And Christ said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to myself. That drawing you feel, it's not to a place, it's not to an altar, it is unto the Son of God that died and rose again for you. After you're saved, yes, He does lead you. He does lead you to do things. But you've got to be careful then too. I had a woman tell me one time, a wife of a General Baptist preacher, I've got, I had, he's passed away now. I had all confidence in him. He was one of the finest, most anointed men of God I ever seen. Yes, he was a general Baptist. He was a man of God. But his wife told me one time there was six on the altar. And she said, Brother Benji, the Lord told me if I could take off my shoes and run outside around the church six times, they'd be saved. And I did, and he saved them. And I thought, I'm glad he saved them. That had nothing to do with you running around barefoot six times. Amen. Nothing. That's a work. Now, it is important. God gives us works. But those works will line up with the Word of God. Amen. The works that we do, believers are going to be... Believers have... Our soul has already been judged. Brother Scott pointed this out Wednesday night. I was judged 2,000 years ago. My soul was judged at the cross of Calvary. When Jesus Christ died, my soul was judged right on that spot. My works will be judged later. What sort of works they are, they're either going to enter into eternity or they will be burned up and tried by fire. Believers have been judged at the cross. Sinners have, an, uh, have a fearful looking for of judgment awaiting them. So what must you do to be saved? You must repent and you must believe the Gospel. That is the requirements that God says. Not man. That's what God says. Is He dealing with you today? As we stand and sing, would you, would you come? If He's drawing you to a place, it ain't the altar that will save you, but it is a good place. Somehow or another, I think sometimes we put too much stock in the altar and other times I think we don't use it enough. It is a good place. But if you've got it in your head, if I just get to the altar, I'll be saved. That ain't going to do it. You must get to Him. You must get to Him. As we stand and sing, here's an invitation. Why don't you come today if God is dealing with your heart? You've went all this time. 2024. It's 2020. It's a new year. You need to be saved as we sing.